Father, we love you and we do thank you for how gracious you are to us. Uh, We thank you that even when we don't get the point the first time or the second time, Lord, you will will drive home your points with us with yet even a third story. We thank you for these words that you have for us today, God, and we pray that you would be with our hearts as when you teach through the parables, there's many lessons that we can learn and two people can hear the exact same message but take something very different. And so, God, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what you have to say this morning. For a lot of us, it may not be easy. And for some of us, it may be downright offensive. But that's okay, God, because we don't worship a God who's politically correct. We worship an unfair God who sacrificially loved each one of us and gave us many chances and gives us many chances. And so, God, I pray that you would give us the heart and the ears to hear what you have to say to us this morning. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm Pastor Jamie Kendrew, and, and, you know, I poked my head out before the 9 o'clock service, and it wasn't really snowing yet, and the attendance was very down because we figured people were waiting on the snow, and, and then we looked outside right before the 11 o'clock, and so the snowstorm just pouring down. So thank you for being here. Uh, it kind of went the opposite order as we thought this morning. We thought the snow was coming early, but we're really glad that you're here with us today. Hey, as we said earlier, we want you to go ahead and and take out your cell phones. And as a public speaker, this goes against everything I've ever learned. Um, Go ahead and turn them on. Um, Silence them, but turn them on. And if you go to that Christ Church app, in your uh, sermon notes today, there's actually a question. And the question is this. Um, As you know, we're in a new series called The the Prodigal God. And what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks is we're going to be going through the story of the lost son. And a lot of us have heard this story before. We've, we've heard the story of the parable of the prodigal son and, and how he goes off and does his thing. But the question I have for you, the question that we're asking you all to answer, is according to Jesus' story in, in Luke 15, the prodigal, or the, excuse me, the lost son, who is the story really about? And you have the answers of whether it is, is, the, is it about the, the younger son, the prodigal son as we know him, Is it about the father, um, or is it about the elder son? And so that's the question we want to have you answer for us. We're really excited about this series. It comes from a book uh, by the name of Prodigal God from a guy named Tim Keller. And we have it available in our bookstore if you want to pick up a copy and follow along uh, as we preach. But it's going to be a great series. Uh, And I'm really excited about what the Lord has to say to us. When I was uh, early in ministry, I encountered the, the ugliest thing I had ever experienced and have ever experienced uh, in my life. I was a young youth pastor working with students, and one of the things that that we found to be a creative event, this was before the internet was widely used for gaming, where kids would get online together and they would just sit in their living rooms and play with like 400 other kids. That just didn't happen when I started in youth ministry. And so what we did is we had a a couple of people get together and we would form these in-house networks of computers where we would get like 300 kids would all bring their computers to the church and we would actually have to borrow power from other buildings. There were so many computers in the building. And we would have all these kids come in from all different walks of life and they would play video games together and then they would hear about Jesus. And it ended up being a really fun event. It, it was ironic the first time I met Pastor Doug Rary as he came to one of those. Um, and so while we're there, there was a group of kids that showed up one night that, you know, this is fresh off the Columbine shooting. I don't know if you remember that event in history. 
um, there was a group of kids that were becoming more relevant in our society and more prevalent in our society. They were the gothic kids. If you remember, they would paint their nails black and they would wear mascara and they would wear dark clothing and trench coats and that's what the guys would do. Um, and, and that's who they were. And, and a lot of us today, when we, when we see people like that, we kind of shift in our seats a little bit or go, ooh, that's weird. But the reality of it is, is there's still people and, and they were coming to church. And in fact, this group of kids came to church that night because they were no longer allowed in the mall. They were kicked out of everywhere else that anybody could hang out. And they were literally just looking for a place to go to make some trouble and to hang out. That night, a couple of them came to know Jesus. Amen. Thank you. That's, that's a good response. And there was one guy in particular by the name of Chris DeAgostino. This kid was really out there. Uh, he, he, again, wore the trench coat, black hair, painted nails. Everything was depression with him, and, and it was just this lifestyle. He loved fire and to blow stuff up. And I remember he came to know Jesus, and he came to me, and he said, well, now what? All right, I want to follow Jesus. Now what do I do? And I remember saying to him, come to church on Sunday, and we'll walk you through this process of how to pursue God. I was excited. I was ecstatic. These kids' lives were changed, and they were excited. And I remember as Chris walked through the doors of the church on Sunday morning, it was as if someone had belched right in the middle of a sermon. All eyes turned to the black trench coat kid. And there were some mean looks that he was given. Uncomfortable stares. And I remember one of the senior leaders in the church on the governing board came up to me. He was a big man. And he grabbed me, he stuck his hand out to shake my hand, and I shook his hand, thinking he was going to be excited. He was going to say, this is awesome. He looked at me, and he squeezed my hand as hard as he could. And he said, their kind aren't welcome here. And until he changes his clothes, cuts his hair, and does something else, we don't want him here. And there's little me next to this massive man. And I remember I tried to squeeze back with every ounce of my fiber in me. The reality was a guy probably never even felt it. But I said, the moment he's not welcome in this church, the moment I'm not welcome in this church. And from that moment on, I had a battle on my hands, trying to get these leaders to understand why people like Chris needed to be in the church. And ultimately, it became the reason why I left that church. I do not understand, for the life of me, why we would have hospitals for healthy people. I do not understand for the life of me why the mature Christians among us don't understand the significance of a kid like that coming to know Christ. Listen to me, people. You cannot change the outward appearance of someone. You cannot change their habits, their lifestyle, and the things that they do until the inside of them is changed. And I think a lot of times, the church, we get so excited about being in love with Jesus we get so excited about church that it becomes our church. Jesus becomes ours and not the other way around. And then when someone comes in who's outside of our spectrum of thinking, it disrupts the whole thing and that can't be right. You see, in the time of Jesus Christ, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they had a good thing going. They knew the law. They knew the ceremonies. They knew how to teach the, the religion, they knew how to teach the ceremony. They knew how to teach the morality. And the only way to heaven was through their morality, their, their stuff, their ceremonies. 
And so what happens is, is when you turn your Bible or open your app to Luke, or in, in the sermon notes that will have the, the thing here, we find ourselves in Luke 14. And in Luke 14, we see this beautiful picture of Jesus teaching people the cost of following him. Now, this is revolutionary. Because as I said before, the church leaders, the, the way to heaven was through the temple. The way to God was through the priest. The priest would then go to God and, and, and you would make sacrifices for your sin. But now there's this new character in town. His name's Jesus. He's calling himself the Son of God. And he's teaching that the way to heaven is by following him. So that to, the, to the Pharisees and the church leaders of the day, this teaching is revolutionary. It's blasphemous. And to most of the Pharisees, they did not listen. I want to make something very clear here. Not all the Pharisees were bad guys. We, we oftentimes throw the whole lot of them under the bus. But not all the Pharisees were screaming crucify. Not all the Pharisees were bad guys. So Jesus is preaching about the cost of following him and how each one of us must pick up our cross and we must be willing to get rid of everything to pursue him. And for the first time in the, in the history of history, sinners are hearing that God loves them, not because of how much they do, not because of how hard they work, but they're hearing for the first time that God loves them because they're God's children. For the first time, sinners and tax collectors are hearing that, that they too can be saved, that, that if they put their faith in this man Jesus, they can have eternal life. Because you see, when they would go to the Pharisees and to the temple, they were often met with a, faith, a hand at the door. Your kind aren't wanted here. Because you see, to be a tax collector back in the day was to be a representative of Rome and you were detested and hated, often accused rightly so of being a thief or a criminal as well. Sin is anything that we do that is counter to God. We all get that, right? We get what sin is. And when you're doing something counter to God, you're an enemy of God. And so the sinners were being exactly who they were. They were, they were sinners. Do you realize, as a believer... You are to live by the standards of this book. Do you understand that? Do you also understand that a sinner who has no idea who Jesus is, it is unfair for us to hold them to the standards of that book? Do you hear what I'm saying? And I hope you hear how I'm saying it. Because the sinner is being exactly what he's supposed to be, a broken, messed up pile of junk, just like you and I are, right? So a sinner, not knowing Jesus, is being a sinner. How dare we, as, as Christians and Pharisees and teachers of the law, get mad at them for being what they say they are? Is this making sense? A lot, a lot of complex thought processes here happening right now. And so Jesus is teaching them, come to me. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Give up your, your sinful ways. Jesus wasn't simply accepting their sin. You do realize that, right? Jesus didn't say, you know what, you go out, you be a murderer, that's okay, we're still buds. That's not how it was. Jesus recognized something that we in this nation have long forgot, that you can actually love somebody without agreeing with them. That you can actually love somebody by not agreeing with what they do, or accepting what they do. And I'm going to tell you right now, church, we've got to get back to that because that's what God has called us to. He has called us to love people in spite of their sin. And there's not a single one of you in this room who has not sinned. 
whether it's cheating on your math test, being in a same-sex relationship, being addicted to alcohol, beating your wife, or nuclear bombing a foreign nation as a terrorist. It's all sin. And it's okay to laugh at that, because I did go to two extremes. But in the eyes of God, sin is sin. And as a church, we've got to start loving people and treating the heart so that the outward appearance can come afterwards. Jesus preached this message beautifully. You know, Chris, I left the church that I was at. Chris had a couple of youth leaders, Don and Amy Tedrow. I'll I'll share their names. And they stuck with Chris. They got Chris involved in a a church that I, I I went to another church. And Chris showed up at the church. And Chris continued to follow God. And I remember in 2008, as I was sitting in the mission field in Kenya, watching as a group of missionaries, and some of you were here this morning who were with me on that trip. I remember sitting there looking at Chris as he was playing with a little boy who was sick and ill. And Chris was telling him stories about Jesus. And I thought to myself, you know, he sure looks and smells a lot like Jesus now, doesn't he? And I just think, how many people have we pushed away because of our ignorance? Because we think we've got it all figured out. You see, the Pharisees and tax collectors were listening to Jesus and they were listening to this message of freedom and hope, this message of be set free from your sins. And it says this in chapter 15 of Luke. It says in verse 1 that the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Because you see, to eat with a sinner to eat with somebody at all in that culture was to accept them for who they were. And so we've got this unique moment where there's these people around Jesus. The sinners and the tax collectors gathered around Jesus because they were looking for hope, but the Pharisees and the church folks gathered around Jesus because they wanted to gripe. Because this wasn't the way it's supposed to be. This wasn't the way we've always known it. You're breaking the thing. You're messing this all up. And the Pharisees with their positions of power are very frustrated with Jesus. And I love Jesus because he doesn't even break stride. You know, if someone said something snarky to you or if you're preaching the gospel message and someone starts muttering behind you, you're going to get furious. And, And a lot of us, probably me, we would respond to that in a way that may not be godly. But I love what Jesus does here. Because Jesus can teach two groups of people with a story, and it can be a punch in the face to one, and it can be soft, loving words to another. And without breaking stride, Jesus the Christ is standing there teaching this group of tax collectors, Pharisees and sinners and broken people, the whole messed up lot of them. He's standing there teaching, and he hears the muttering in the background, and he just simply does this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and he loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Now let me explain something to you. We're not shepherds, most of us. (laughs) It is actually a a, a customary thing that if you leave your sheep or your cattle in the field, that it's a safe place to leave them. I just want to make sure we're clear on that. That when Jesus is talking about leaving the 99, he's not talking about abandoning them to the wolves. He's actually saying that the lost sheep, those 99, are actually precious to him. They're sacred to him. But so is that one that's lost. 
And he's gonna, he knows that these 99 are safe, so he's going to leave them in a safe place, and he's going to go after the one that needs help. Not making these any more or less significant than this one. We're all in agreement there, right? So he says, suppose one of you has 100 sheep and he loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home and then he calls his friends and his neighbors and he says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Mutter, 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 mutter is what Jesus hears. To the sinners and the saints, they're hearing a message of freedom. But the Pharisees are just getting madder and madder. Not getting the point, continuing to hear muttering, Jesus goes on. And he says, okay, or suppose, uh, excuse me, he says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one of them. Does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? I want to say this. A lot of times in the Bible, some of the numbers and the amounts of stuff, they're they're really not significant to the story. But I do want to say this. In this instance of this parable, Jesus uses every single word very specifically. And I want to tell you this, that the amount of money he's talking about in that piece of silver is a significant, significant, life-earning amount of money. And the reason why that amount of money in this parable is so significant is because God sees each and every one of you as a lifetime investment, as significantly valuable. Whether you're still in the coin purse or whether you're on the floor, you are valuable to God. Does that make sense? Let's keep reading. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. And in the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. So Jesus tells these two stories to these guys. He's he's teaching to the taxpayers, or to the tax collectors, excuse me, and the taxpayers. He's teaching to the sinners. But he's really rifling down on the Pharisees. And he's saying, listen to me. There is more rejoicing in heaven over one person who accepts Christ than the 99 that are already saved. Now, I want you to stop with me for a minute. Because this is going to be hard for some of you to kind of understand. And I'm going to play a little mind game with you right now. I want you to close your eyes. Don't go to sleep. And I want you to think in the most grandest of grandest thoughts, what is heaven going to be like? Think about the warmth of the glory of God. Think about the fact that there's no more cancer. There's no more pain. There's no more tears. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's no more taxes. There's no more bills to be paid. That you are set free from everything that is awful in this place. Think about the glory of being able to worship God the Father in front of Him for the rest of your life. Perfect in your body that is not crippled or or arthritic or just maimed. You're, You're beautiful and perfect the way that God intended you to be. I think we would all agree. You can open your eyes. 
that heaven is a place of joy. Would anybody care to debate that? (laughs) Heaven is not only a place of joy. Heaven is the place where joy comes from. Sidney Crosby is an amazing hockey player. And I'll be very honest with you. I don't know that I've ever seen a better hockey player. But I would love to meet the hockey player that Sidney Crosby gets excited about. Because when we talk about the angels are rejoicing in heaven, how in the place of joy is there something so awesome and something so exciting that it causes the very place of joy to be joyous? Does that make sense? Because it took me like eight years to wrap my head around that. The place where joy exists gets excited about one sinner accepting Jesus Christ. In church, when we get all worked up about our bake sales and our different things like that, I'm going to tell you right now, we're missing the point. Because if God and the angels in heaven gets excited about people meeting Jesus, that church is what we need to be focused on. That is what we need to be getting excited about. There's a lot of really good things in this world. There's a lot of really good, awesome stuff in this world. But the moment our religion and our personal preferences gets in the way of people meeting Jesus, if we're not bringing joy to the place of joy, then we're bringing sorrow. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be bringing sorrow to God. I've already done enough of that. But I want you to try to fathom that concept when Jesus says to the Pharisees and the teachers and the, and the sinners that there is more rejoicing with the angels in the presence of God over one sinner accepting him. You want to know why the sinners and the broken people gathered around Jesus? Because they needed hope. They want to be set free. They want to be made right. The Pharisees simply wanted to gripe. It goes on to say in verse 11, because the Pharisees still didn't get the point after that. And Jesus begins to tell the story of two sons. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the story of these lost sons. Because Jesus is about to blow our minds on what we think as far as what righteousness is and what sin is. Let me ask you this question. Why do you love God? Why do you love Jesus? Do you love God? Do you love Jesus? Do you love the Holy Spirit? Do you love God because you get to love God, because he set you free? Or do you love God because of the stuff he has? I want to make sure I'm very clear on this. There's nothing wrong with righteousness. There's nothing wrong with, with following liturgy. There's nothing wrong with, with being into your church. There's nothing wrong with that. But when those things get in the way of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're loving God, not because we love God, but we're loving God because of his stuff, because we simply want to get to heaven and be a part of this cool thing as opposed to loving God because he saved us. Why do you gather around Jesus? Is it to worship him 
and to do his thing? Or is it so you can just do your thing and be safe? I don't know if that's making sense or not. Because somewhere along the lines, I think when we fall in love with Jesus, for a lot of us, it it stays there. And for some of us, it it becomes, instead of us loving Jesus and, 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 and Jesus having us, it's us having Jesus and it's our way or the highway. And I think the church, we do a lot of damage to people when they come through our doors and they're not wearing the right tie or their facial hair is too long. That's not a problem now, but if you remember back in the 90s, those were big deals in churches. And that grieves the heart of God. I think it grieves the heart of God that Sunday morning tends to still be one of the most racially divided times in America. You've got Chinese churches, black churches, white churches. I think God mourns that. He wants his children to be together. Amen? He wants us to to love one another, understanding that we all come from different places and to not get in the way of sharing the gospel. Our mission as a church is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't even got to pray about that. I'm telling you, it's a fact. You're supposed to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's it's, it's in your blood. It's in your DNA. Don't let your preferences and and, and your, your different things, your sinful things, get in the way of that. We did a poll earlier in the service. We asked the question of who in the story of the lost son do you think the story's actually about? And we're going to bring those numbers up. And according to you guys, 37% of you think that the the story's actually about the younger son, which we can understand because God rejoices. Jesus loves to party. He loves to celebrate when a sinner uh, gets to know him, right? And that's a very true statement. And so I think the parable is about the younger son to a certain extent, or the lost son. Some of you think it's about the father. And, and I can understand that because when you look at the definition of the word prodigal, it actually means one who has spent all or recklessly and extravagantly. And the reality of the story of the prodigal son is that the only person in the story who really gave up everything was the father because he gave up his, 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 his inheritances to his children and gave of himself. And so I could see why you would think that. But the reality of this parable, as well as the other two parables, is these parables are actually about the older brother. And over the next several weeks, we're going to explain why. But I want to say this to you. At the end of this parable, there is only one person who is not at the party that the father is throwing. And it's the self-righteous older brother. And so I ask you this question. Do you love God for God? Or are you simply just loving him for his stuff? Maybe that doesn't make sense to you. But for the people it needs to make sense for, it does. I want to tell you, you can't out the love of God. Jesus Christ came down to this earth to die for you, to love you. He wants each and every one of us to not only follow him, but to share his gospel message, to gather around him, to be like the Chris de Augustinos of the world who fall in love with Jesus despite of how broken they were and they follow him to the ends of the earth. You know, Chris now today works for a blimp company. He travels around the world repairing and fixing blimps. He actually does not have a home because he travels that much. And he shares the gospel everywhere he goes. I talked to him last night. He's out in California. 
and he's sharing the gospel of Jesus. Can you imagine someone looking at that young man who has been the hands and feet of Jesus and saying, we don't want your kind. They don't build hospitals for healthy people. And church, we need to reach out in love and help people understand why they're broken. Not beat them up when they're down. I've made my point, haven't I? All right, let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you. We thank you for the way that you taught us, Jesus. We thank you that some of us in this room are younger brothers who, as we will hear in weeks to come, have returned to you. We thank you that we're that lost sheep and that lost coin that you have found and that there was somebody who went after us. We thank you that Jesus came after us. But God, for those of us in this room, including myself, who, who oftentimes will act like the Pharisees, will get bent out of shape when something's not on our agenda or doesn't fit our mold or our style, forgive us and help us to repent. Convict us, God, of those moments because we do not want to get in the way of what you're doing. And as we have read in this parable, it's very obvious that Jesus, you're a party animal and you desire to celebrate in mighty ways the lost. It is amazing that the, the place of joy is joyous over sinners coming to know you. Help us to have that passion for the lost. Help us to have that excitement for sharing Jesus with people. God, we love you. We give you this morning. Amen.